Welcome to episode 40 of FRT, the IF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation and technology. I'm Brad Carr, and today we're in Stockholm, enjoying a lovely Scandinavian summer day at the headquarters of SCB. Our guest on FRT today is Johan Torgelby, CEO of SCB, and also a member of the IEF's Board of Directors. Johan, thanks for joining us, and welcome to FRT. Thank you for coming. Johan, I've often cited SEB's leadership in embracing the opportunities with open banking and the reality of the new platform economy. And indeed, that's one of the reasons we were most keen to speak with you on FRT. At the G20 meetings in Fukuoka recently, I was citing SEB alongside Erster's George platform, and we spoke with Erster's CEO and Andreas Trichel back on episode 22. But before we pick up that theme, I want to firstly ask about yourself and your leadership of the bank. You became CEO in 2017, having already worked at SEB for the previous eight years. Over those two and a half years while you've been CEO, what have you found most pleasing and most challenging in the role? Wow, what a start. I must say that this is an industry that is being constantly challenged in as many variables I can think of. And for the first two and a half years to to at least today feel that we've had a solid financial performance in in line with our wishes and our plans. And also the three pillars that I always go back to, it's the the shareholders, the employees, and the clients. And Mm -hmm. all three of them has uh, noted some uh, some pretty strong uh, performance in the last two and a half years. So that given um, the, um, call it transformation or forces we see around us, has been um, particularly pleasing. It's an interesting environment to be working in, definitely. So in SEB's strategy and investor updates, you frequently highlighted the impacts of both open banking and artificial intelligence. If I can take open banking firstly, we're increasingly moving to an environment where customers are enabled by platforms and want to be able to pick and choose services from different providers. SEB's moves to embrace this have included your investment in the Tink platform and your development portal for other businesses to use SEB's APIs. Can you tell us about how you see this new customer landscape? For me, and I think for the bank, it kind of started in the summer of 2015, when we for the first time felt that a second or maybe a third wave of internet or um, digital capabilities was coming our way, and the concept of open banking was established. So we put some strategic initiatives in place in summer of 15, early 16, in order to embrace in the sense of understanding and reaching out to the believers of Mm -hmm. a new brave world where open ecosystems will be the natural place for clients of ours to operate. December 18, we put our new current three-year strategy in place. And uh, right now we are more or less saying that open banking is here to stay. I would say it's come less in force than we expected, or at least that the, the believers expected in 2015. But it's rather a question around magnitude and speed rather than direction. So right now, we have uh, taken a pretty progressive stance with um, kind of three pillars to where we stand. One is, as you mentioned, the investment in Tink. This is a pillar where we acquire minority stakes in particularly interesting startups and fintechs, and we embrace them with a predominant focus on creating better customer capabilities. It's not traditional VC investing where we look for the return. That would be lovely if we can achieve that too. But it's really to find a shortcut to developing everything um, yourself. The other one is to just engage with all our client base and the ecosystems or natural marketplaces that are being developed to see what of our capabilities can we provide in these new external systems and what other capabilities can we introduce into our channels. 
And the third leg, we call it SEBX, is to become a digital explorer in our own right. So at the fringe of organization, we have this initiative where we more or less try to see what it would be like to create a new bank within the bank, where you had no legacy problems, you have a clean slate, and you can absolutely try to engage in new technology without considering what you have. Kind of the notion of disrupting yourself. It is, absolutely. To build on that point, digital transformation affects not only banks, but also banks' corporate customers. And a key part of your customer franchise stems from SCB's prominence as the leading Nordic corporate bank. You have an interesting advisory initiative in SCB Singular as well, which I understand is advising clients as well as enabling the bank to expand its client coverage for some new high-tech businesses. Can you tell us more about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, think about SCB Singular, almost like a um, newly defined client segment. We are used to large corporate financial institution, SME, but uh, we base this initiative on two realizations. The first one is that we have been a very active place in the world for new startups and they are becoming very successful very quickly. And there is not a um, clear banking financial services proposition for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, eight, nine years later, they are multi-billion dollar companies listed on the stock exchange. So that is a task in itself to find a corporate banking, investment banking and personal banking capability to take care of these thousands of individuals in our part of the world who is striving to do such a journey. The second is that we have such a formidable network that naturally comes from being an established corporate and investment bank, but we've kept all that insight in our bank. So we never shared it with anyone. So here it is for the, I don't know, 14,000 or so fintechs in the world. We met many of them. We invested in some. We see a lot of the startup community coming for capital raising questions or networking questions and really to find a new generation of bankers that can take this information package it for our more established clients as well as entrepreneurs. So everyone is more or less um, asking for the same information today, and that is what's happening out there and how can I play? Absolutely. You've got a great, a great database within the bank that's a real key to be able to unlock that. And I guess to build on that point, so there's also a lot of opportunities with artificial intelligence or, or machine learning in banking, in better understanding customers, in how we assess credit risk, detecting fraud and, and money laundering. We've talked about it a lot on FRT, as far back as episode three, and most recently with Bill Kahn on episode 38. But as one example of what you're doing here at SCB, can you tell us about the ADA initiative, which I understand has been very effective for resolving uh, IT support issues, both for customers and for employees? Yeah, I mean, with the, with the risk of exaggerating, ADA was a uh, very early attempt in order to get away from the most time-consuming tasks that we performed, pretty mundane standard tasks performed on the telephone bank on Monday mornings and also IT support issues for the 15,000 employees. So that's where we started. We had a huge challenge and still that um, she is not particularly well spoken in Swedish. So we've done a lot of work ourselves in order to get her applicable to many of our clients and and employees. I can tell you that every bit of voice recognition in software in the US struggles with my Australian accent. Too, Absolutely. So, yeah. And I'm from the south of Sweden, so it doesn't recognize me very well. But, you know, uh, with time, I'm sure they will improve. So this has been a very interesting start, but I, I would say it's been very tricky to scale it up to the masses. So we are talking today about tens of thousands of requests right. now being sorted out by AIDA using artificial intelligence and uh, with an 85-ish uh, percent um, success rate. 
So there still things that that won't work. But tens of thousands might sound a lot, but we do have many, many millions. Uh, So it's still a small proportion of both our clients and and our internal support functions that actually can be outsourced to the um, artificial intelligence engine that we have at our disposal. But to me, again, this is probably not about direction. It's very clear you Mm -hmm. can use these things, but it's about magnitude and speed and that you make sure you accelerate investments in these areas as wisely as one can, because it's very easy to overinvest and it's certainly easy to not invest at all. But I think uh, we try to have a progressive stance. And otherwise, I would say that the broader area of using machine learning, deep learning, AI are the ones that you partly mentioned in your question. So it's around predictive growth models, which we found to be very exciting right now. And that's helping our clients with the data we have totally automatic to give a reasonable probability of what will happen to their business going forward. It's all around compliance with transaction monitoring and fraud, particularly finding fraud before it actually happens. Yes. And then we have the automation next generation of credit scoring. And of course, to commercialize that would be automatic credit granting in digital channels. And uh, this is also extremely promising right now. And it's uh, kind of deployed already in large scale by some. And then for wholesale, we've been trading FX uh, digitally and automatically with algos for a long time and also in equities. But this is really interesting to think what else could be used in the same fashion. And then the robo funds and the robo investments and the robo advice, which we are launching here as we speak. Some great examples of things that you already have happening in progress here at SCB there. But of course, if we look at you in a wider context, not only is SCB a highly innovative bank in yourself, uh, but you're also in a highly innovative country and indeed a wholly, uh, the whole broader region here. As a visitor, it appears that Sweden has moved closer to achieving a truly cashless economy than anybody else, um, even China. And of course, the Riksbank is pushing ahead with developing a digital krona. In terms of how your bank prepares and adjusts to these changes uh, or embraces them, are there particular lessons that you would call out for banks in other regions to be thinking of? Well, without uh, trying to be pretentious, I think the first point I would point to is that this is a very, very forceful, formidable trend in this part of the world, and you just cannot fight it. So companies and private individuals in Sweden has clearly shown over the last five years they prefer a digital settlement of their debt or to pay for goods and services digitally than cash. The second is that then you need to make a decision. Either you innovate or you fight the trend. And we have, of course, um, um, tried to innovate this as fast as possible. Many countries are very different on this topic. I think it's good to understand the background for Sweden. Sweden was very early, even getting government support and subsidies in the early 90s for everyone to get a PC at home. So this was one of the important things for technical and digital adaptation from the general public at an early stage. Then we had a lucky decade with some really strong telecom operators, but also the mobile phone producers in Finland and Sweden that actually helped this little country to really was quick and going mobile. Yes, yeah. You need an acceptance for the digital channels that exists in the country. This has to do with validation of identity in a digital form and that everyone trusts the system and meeting the banks or any financial institution in a digital form. So those were the prerequisites. Now we've seen, I think, cash broke 1% of GDP, which uh, is an extremely low number, Definitely. which means that actually you cannot pay for things in cash. You um, can't go to a hairdresser, you can't pay for food. It's stopped being accepted at many points 
points of sales. Mm. And this is um, having some significant consequences for a lot of people, but uh, not at least the central bank who needs to think about monetary policy as we know it, the role of cash, which is still the only legal means of of payment in the country, but also this trend of uh, everyone wants to go digital. For other countries to have the same pattern as us, it will start with increased volumes on credit cards. And I think we can see that in many countries, even the slow adopters. But what happens in parallel today with PSPs, with payment service providers on the side, and also banks, of course, uh, trying to be innovative here, is that when you go cashless, credit cards is the natural first place to benefit. But other technologies are coming up with force. And in Sweden, we have something called Swish, which is actually developed by the larger banks together as a common initiative. And we now have the majority of people signed up. And then this is count-to-account payment, actually disruption of any channel you know, including credit cards. And right now, there's multiple options how to settle uh, your bills. And we'll see who survives. But it's, it's definitely digital in all shapes and forms. I think that's a really interesting example that you give there and that, that case with Swish. I think you're absolutely right that in most other markets, we're seeing that moving away from cashless has meant credit cards and it has naturally driven business to the card schemes and to the established labels that we know. And I think a lot of those other markets will be watching your experience very closely as, as perhaps the gauge of what the, the next generation might look like. They do. They do. Finally, while we're focused here primarily on the issues and opportunities with digital innovation, another big priority for SCB is sustainability. And you're going to be speaking on the panel Green is the New Black at the IIF annual membership meeting in October. Can you describe how this focus on sustainability influences the bank's product development and governance? Right now, I think the debate about uh, is it going to happen, how will it happen, and is it important, more or less have gone in the last year. So now it's all about implementation and how do one relate to these trends. We see it in investing patterns. So the demand we see for investment products, it's been there for a long time, but it's absolutely exponentially increasing in demand to find sustainable or just prudent, well-documented, what do you do with my money if I give it to you? The borrowing side of the equation has come, started with green bonds 10 years ago, and that's now exploded. I mean, that's established right now as a multi-billion dollar market. And now we, we just launched our first blue bond which is very similar to green and hope that we can take that into a new standard as well, which is, of course, for the purpose of clean water rather than clean air. When you look at the business plan that we just put forward, it's one of the 11 initiatives that we have now explicitly targeted, and that is to accelerate the product development within sustainable finance as widely defined as you can define it. And here we're talking about social housing, green products for retail, which is less developed. But we launched green mortgages last year. We've just launched green leasing products. And then we can do some of these in blue as well going forward. That would be very interesting. We also see that the fastest growing demand in three or four areas of the bank are within the sustainability areas. And that just makes commercial sense to be at the front and trying to work with your clients to see what one can do. You mentioned the word standard then when you were describing green bonds and the emerging blue bonds. And I think one of the big challenges or the big opportunities is if we can hopefully increase the commonality around some of the definitions, maybe that can become a basis for helping to improve the liquidity of some of those those markets as people become more confident in how they can trade out of one green bond and into another. I completely agree. I mean, commonality in taxonomy is a prerequisite for this to grow as fast as it can grow. And also right now, even though we have products 10 years old in vintage, we're still debating is it dark green or light green or what type of green is it? So, um, of course, we're developing fast right now, but a common standard would certainly help. 
Well, thank you, Johan. And if I can briefly highlight a couple of the key points that you've raised, uh, I really like the three pillars that you mentioned in terms of embracing the, the platform economy and open banking world. The initiatives with Tink uh, and the minority stakes you're taking there aimed at uh, looking at better customer capability, point you made about engaging with all client bases and ecosystems, and the third pillar about SBX and the bank's efforts to ensure that you're a digital explorer in your own right. Also really like the point you make about SCB Singular and the way that you, you see that as the opportunity to focus on a whole new customer segment, a new cohort of clients that are emerging and how you can support and ultimately profit from having those, those new relationships. And then lastly, as we talked about the opportunities arising with Sweden's broader innovation, the trend towards a cashless society, I firstly like the point you made that you need to innovate and not fight the trend, but also the experience you recounted of Sweden as an early adopter the point about having had the subsidised computers, the success of the telco industry and those important prerequisites. And certainly as we look more and more and, and we'll have a big focus at the IAF over the next year on digital identity. And I see a lot of opportunities where digital identity can help, among other things, financial inclusion. But you need to have those prerequisites to ensure that society has access to, to the digital world. Otherwise, you actually run the risk it could go the other way and, and be an item of exclusion. So I really like the way that you emphasise the importance of those prerequisites. Looking ahead on FRT, we have some further great guests joining us in the coming weeks. While here in Stockholm, we're going to speak with Riksbank Governor Stefan Ingvis. We'll also bring the highlights of the IEF Machine Learning Roundtable at Commerzbank's headquarters in Frankfurt. And my colleagues Junichi Fujimura and Jonathan Fortune will bring our first Japanese language episode. Please tune in again for those upcoming episodes via the IEF website on SoundCloud and now on Apple Podcasts. I'm Brad Carr, and thanks for joining us on FRT.